right, right? Because John ends, last week we did it. We just did two verses all morning, which is like a record for me. I like to do at least three chapters. But there it was. We finished John because John does a mic drop. You guys know mic drops, right? So you say this amazing thing and then you just drop the mic. And John did it last week. He said many signs. John did so many. Jesus did so many. They could like fill as many books as could ever be written. But these were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing have life in his name. And then poof. Mic drop. We're done, right? We're done. We're finished. John, that's it. Welcome to chapter 21. Because that's where we are. We're in this final end, this last chapter, this amazing, amazing piece of John that actually makes you step back and say, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not thinking totally correctly about the depth of John. Because this. Because this. John has a frame. Like a picture has a frame. I don't know if you've ever seen a really nice frame to a picture. It just complements it and pulls it out and puts it there. And the, the, the picture is the picture, but the frame is actually really important. And John has a frame. It started in John 1. John 1, the introduction to John, is the first 12, 14 verses, is part of a frame. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And then it starts talking about Jesus and all this stuff, right? This is frame that's deep, like in the beginning was the word. That, that's, that's an introductory frame piece. The book could have started a little later. So it is with this chapter. It's the other half of the frame. And it's after Jesus has already done everything he needs to do. And it's this story of Peter and the guys and Jesus showing up. And you're going to be tempted to think, oh, it's like a little epilogue that doesn't really matter. No. It's so important. Because this, because this, because we have why Jesus is so important from the very beginning of all creation with the beginning of the frame. Because he says, in the beginning was the word. And the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And then here at the end, knowing all the signs, trusting in Jesus, now comes this peace because John knows through the Holy Spirit as he writes. He knows that now it's going to be time before Jesus comes again. In fact, it's been 2,000 years. What about life in light of all this time that's going forward? For that, I believe we have this chapter. I think it's actually really important to your life. And we'll do it in two pieces. We're going to do one piece this morning and one piece next week. And, and, and what it means. And this event happened. And it happened to me. I trust Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. And now what? Because my life, honestly, honestly, if I look at most of your life, your lives appear unchanged. Well, not my life. It's been changed. I glow now. No, you don't glow You've got feet of clay. Maybe I start to see a few things. You say, wow, that's pretty cool. Look at the Lord do that. Or look at, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. But overall, the niggle comes into everybody I know. Nobody looks in the mirror and suddenly sees a halo. Life seems to go. So what is it? What's happening? And the people who God really loves have, well, I mean, people who God really loves have kids that are perfect. Have lives that have meaning. Spouses that hang on their every word. Bodies that are healthy. 
No broken relationships. <laughs> and then there's me. How many of those things? Okay, so I want to show you a little bit from John in this amazing, amazing chapter of kind of what it means, how it looks, and to break our expectations around, around what we think the Christian life needs to be if we're really Christ's. Okay, so a changed life, that's what we're talking about. And I want to start with the same old stuff. The same old circumstances. In John chapter 21, verse 1. So let's look. After this, John writes, after this, after the book's done, after we just saw the amazing signs and we believed and we have life in his name. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. These are deep theological concepts. They went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Wow, that sounds familiar. I don't think I've ever caught anything fishing. I've tried and tried. I guess what I want you to see as we start, that Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and a couple others, seven of them, they're hanging out in Galilee like they'd never left. I mean, come on, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word from the beginning of time has come, and He's resurrected from the dead, and He's, 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 he's their guy. And, and There they are. They've seen Him. Thomas is there, right? That's the, isn't that the guy who put his fingers in his side? Why in the world are they hanging out in Galilee? Because they got to eat. That's what it means by fish. It doesn't mean sport fishing. I mean, it's kind of a joke. I never catch anything when I try and catch a salmon, but people go salmon fishing and bring big salmon. Whoa, how cool this is. But they're not like, these guys are commercial fishermen, right? But commercial fishermen in the way that means we go out and try and fish in the, in the Sea of Galilee. That's what I did before Jesus. That's what I'm doing now. So isn't this our experience a little bit? This mountaintop of conversion and back to the realities of life that Jesus died for me, but I'm, I'm off to work tomorrow at 745. And, and he fishes all night. It says they fish all night. They get nothing. It's futile. It's frustration. It seems now like now that I'm a believer, I should have some superpower. I mean, I, success, something. Nothing. No fish. Oh, I know what you think. It's like, well, Dax, but you're not telling me the whole story. I know why. Why? Because it's Peter. Well, what's the deal with Peter? Peter abandoned Jesus. If you abandon Jesus, you get nothing. You want to not catch any fish? Act like a pagan. No. You really think the idea is that God's going to take it to him a little bit? Or, you know, Peter denied him, so he's not a true Christian. Or if he is, fine, but the horror of what he did, this public denial up front and center, this horrible witness, yeah, you know, sort of the closest thing is probably like adultery. It's that bad. Repeated disassociation with the Son of God. That's what Peter did just a couple chapters ago in John. And I'll tell you what starts to creep in. 
you're not careful, and it does that most everybody I know, what starts to creep in is this idea that God became man and dwelt among us idea. This God became man and dwelt among us. It's true, but it really doesn't seem to change much. That's what creeps in. And we all in this room included kind of where you think, you know, you know, unless they change, I go back to how I was. How I was isn't like, oh, nothing has changed in what I try and do. But the methods at which I'm doing things, the system in which I'm working, it's kind of all the same. I go back to this self-flesh-oriented thinking about how I relate to God. What do I mean? Well, I, I personal effort is going to please God, and, and, and if I follow the rules, God will be pleased. I try and work hard and get by, and therefore, like Peter, I might be believing. But, but really, you know what? Other people are closer to God because they're having more success. Their kids turn out better. They're more successful. They're choosing God better than I am. They're doing kingdom work while I'll, I sit over in the corner kind of useless because the same old stuff's happening with me. It's really like Jesus never came. Or if he did, he was kind of an enabling power, power for you to be be better. But if you're not better, then you probably didn't plug into the power. You probably weren't his to begin with. Or if you might try harder, you might get a little more power and, and maybe you will be okay. And we'll keep looking at you and evaluating to see if you're really Christ's. If you have eyes at all, this is kind of discouraging. I mean, it can be prideful, too, if you think you're doing great. But, but the point of this start, right, is that your life may seem unchanged, but, 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 it's not unchanged, right? I, I mean, that's the whole piece that, that John is kind of working on, right? It's, it's not unchanged. That Christ, he came and he died and he rose. The one prophesied from ages past, the one who died for the sin of the world, the one who gives you his righteousness, Peter's life seemed the same, Right? He's out there fishing, not catching anything. He's going back to what he always did. But was it the same? No. Jesus is after him. That's the whole beginning, right? We started with this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. He revealed to them. They only think it's the same. Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to meet Peter at the point of his failure again when they've been out all night in their own effort and they caught nothing of value. So there they are toiling again. And the difference is they have a Savior who's risen and alive. So do you. Let's keep going. Because it's not just the same old circumstances. It's the same old failure. So it's just as day was breaking, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. That they see some guy out there on the shore. They've been fishing all night. It's hard work. And Jesus stood on the shore. There he is. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Uh, Jesus knows. They got nothing. It's a highlight for you and me to see, right? And for them. They answered, no. Of course he didn't. Peter's a total failure. He's done spiritual adultery. He's abandoned Jesus. 
By the way, this happens through history. This, people push and they say, are you really a Christian? And, and on the threat of death, there are people who would say no. And they were called lapsed people. Those are lapsarians. And could you be taken back into the church if you rejected Jesus? And Peter's kind of like, I was done, man. I went, I'm going back. I'm going back fishing. And that's what he's done here. He didn't measure up. There's a shame to that. That's one of the hardest things I feel like is we and ourselves sometimes feel I do measure up. I don't think I'm like Peter, but I I think you probably are more than you know. Because the only standard we have about measuring up is the law of God. And it's beautiful and good and pure and true. It's expounded on by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And you just raise it higher and higher and higher and higher. You know, your left hand isn't supposed to know what your right hand does. Like, people shouldn't know that you do nice things. Ever. In fact, you shouldn't even know. That's my left and right hand, right? You should never look at anyone with lust. You should never get angry. You should never. I mean, the standards are so high. On purpose. So that I should feel like I don't. But I feel like, unfortunately, oh, no, I, I, I think I can. And then we'll evaluate how I'm doing. And then, and then even worse than that, I'll start to parse how well I'm doing by how well my circumstances go. Because if, if God is approving of me, then I'll advance and I'll do well. So I start to judge people on what the effects of their life are. Yeah, it's actually said that's Buddhism. Yeah, it is. Sure it is. Christianity, too, in some places. Peter is a failure. He's not talking about it. It's a huge issue. I think his life will never be the same. He's screwed up too bad. I'm not sure he's a Christian. Are you? Big controversy in early Christianity. He's back fishing. So he's back fishing and working and Jesus died for him, but he's not made the, the, the cut. He's not good enough. He's not making it. So he's, there he is. And even that's failing him. Is God for him? Well, I guess, but you can't tell the difference between this Peter and the Peter who didn't know Jesus, right? Because that's where Peter was when Jesus first got him. Pagan Peter. And so can't... Ah. Can't I just say that the whole world is a failure, a morass of uncertainty and work and judgment and striving and trying and wishing for something different than you have? Non-Christians and then Christians too. Anyway, here's the failure. There's no fish. Lots of effort, no result. And maybe you feel like your life's like that. And then Jesus speaks. They don't know him, not yet. Jesus speaks, right? He tells them, he says, he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So, so, so now that's exactly almost word for word, like definitely thought for thought of where he was in Luke 5 when Jesus first called, right? And this guy that he didn't know named Jesus said, hey, go to the other side. He's like, well, what do you know? I'm the fisherman, but he does it anyway, and he gets a ton of fish. That's amazing. 
Don't you think he's just back where he started, the same old treadmill? He put in the effort, get ahead, he works to eat, maybe he'll get fortunate and God will bless him, maybe he won't. But, but, but this is often our experience. But, but here, here the, the, the thing is not that. It's not, it's not that there's going to be a difference in your experience. It's that Jesus actually shows up. Right? That's amazing. That disciple who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. It's like Peter didn't even notice, but the disciple Jesus loved, that's, most people think that's John's self-reference. John goes, oh, it's, 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 it's Jesus. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his, his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. <laughs> you see what's happened? Jesus, the Son of God, the one who died for the world, he comes to Peter in his failure. He goes to where he is in Galilee. Peter's not off trying to find Jesus to repent or do something like that. Jesus comes to him and he reminds him of the truth, how he overcame his unsuccessful work before just by his presence and his word. Like in Luke, he says, you're unsuccessful without me and your success was through me and, and you didn't stop me then and your sin didn't stop me then. Don't be afraid. That's the message of the Bible, right? That the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that he did it all and the signs were signs of his wonder for us. And we looked at them next week. He re-triggers this joy and wonder in Peter's heart. And so he's, he's stripped. He throws his clothes on, which is kind of awkward. I, normally if you're going to swim, but he jumps into the sea and he just gets to Jesus. If only Jesus really was for me all this time. If only this failure and wrongness that still affects me didn't stop Jesus even one bit. If only he would never leave me or abandon me. If only I was good enough just because he says so. Because he's for me. Jesus comes and gets Peter, right? And that's what he says. That's what his presence says. We'll have to wait and see what else he says. Uh, Peter's failure is tremendous. I hope you can see that it's not small. Yet the one who gets him is the one who God made flesh, who dwelt among us and still lives. Says, well, do you love him? Becomes the question. You know, do you trust him and not you? We make that into this work of I'm going to see if you trust him well enough. It's not about that. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's coming for you? Do you trust that he's got you and he's not going to let you go? Do you trust no matter what happens that he's actually got you? Or do you feel like he's more looking at you, evaluating? There's a number of people I know who live in discouragement and constant guilt and shame because they sin. And they're not understanding this. People who are dying a slow death by a thousand cuts, a thousand little sins, you know, must not really be saved. And there's an appropriate place for self-examination in your life and to realize I'm a sinner and to come to the Lord and to ask forgiveness. But, but the real problem you have is you don't trust Jesus. 
The amazement of the gospel is that Jesus came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, not that he made us glorious, his grace, his truth, his righteousness, and, and we, we trust it. We trust him. So this is him coming to Peter. We'll have to see what he does. But for this morning, Jesus is not put off by Peter's sin. Jesus is, comes after him. He rekindles his love. He's for him, even in the midst of his sin, because he still is. One more. Quickly, the same old irrelevance. It's not just about sin for us. But hey, when they got on land, it says they saw charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So they did. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 153. Think about that. Deep. 1 plus 5 plus 3. Add them together, divide by 4. Subtract 7. Multiply by 6. No, it's not about the number. It's not about, it's about a specific number. It's not about 100. It's not a couple. It's 153. It's a lot. Large fish. Jesus did boom. Like this many fish. Whoa. And the net didn't break either. And so Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and he took the bread and he, and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's the scene. So you, wow. Peter still has unresolved sin. Jesus comes to him and reminds him of his calling. He takes a miracle. He rekindles his joy. He shows him what uh, love is in his heart for him. And now in verse 9, Jesus makes him breakfast. You saw that, right? So, so they came in and there's a charcoal of fire and there's bread and there's fish already there. Jesus did it. He just did it. Where did he get the fish? I don't know. Poof. It, it doesn't it remind you a tiny bit of loaves and fishes? You're kind of dumb if it uh, doesn't. Because Jesus does that, he just makes breakfast for them. They, he doesn't need their fish. And then he says to, to the guys, he said, hey, you guys, bring some fish. Why? I would have said that. I'm dumb. I said, Jesus, you already made the, the breakfast. I see it right there. I want to eat that. I, I, I think it's not too hard to understand. That Jesus isn't just providing for them. He already has. He's totally provided for everything. But he looks at the guys and says, hey, you guys, bring some of the fish. Why? You're useful to me. I, I, I want that. I love you. You know, loving someone isn't just sit there while I do everything and you don't get to do anything. I hate that. I always wanted to be a part of it, don't you? And Jesus is like, I love you. Be a part. Come in. Do, do some things. It's fun. I, I don't need it. I already cooked you breakfast. But, man, come, come on over. First, and you realize they didn't catch it. Jesus did. It's his own fish. It's not a mistake. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in his grace, in his truth, he deigns to use us as a partnership. Reminder, Peter, you have usefulness to me. You're still in sin. We still have. We're going to restore him next week when he actually has this little conversation with Jesus. But as it stands right now, Jesus just comes and gets him. This is so hard for me. In my flesh, I want to be the one performing the miracle. No. 
Then I only see my failure. I don't see the Savior using me. Peter's a failure, and Jesus, Jesus makes him breakfast, and he reminds him that though I don't need what you have, I'll use what I've given you. I'll use you, fallen Peter. And Jesus has done the moving, and, and Jesus reaches out, and Jesus is getting Peter over the gulf again, just like when he called him originally. It's, it's not, Peter, now I want you to do these really hard things, and I'll return and see if you're worthy of me to come be with you again. Jesus comes, and he's with him when he's a sinner. Our worth, our identity, our ministry, it's found in union with, in the name of, and through Jesus. I thought verse 12 was really awkward. I don't know about you. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast, and none of them dared to ask him, who are you? They know it's Jesus. He's sitting there. He's eating with them. He's serving them. And this is the third time he's revealed himself. And this, so unlike the others, was not to prove his resurrection. It was to restore the disciples. And this is the frame by which we've worked on today. A little bit more of the frame. One guy really liked Dominic Smart. He wrote a book called When We Get It Wrong. And it's all about this and Peter. And he gets this thing. Jesus, with no religious language, with very few words of any description, by his simple presence and the exercise of sovereign power, has ruined the jigsaw of Simon's life. And I just wonder sometimes, and I pray, that Jesus will ruin yours. And we think that this is my ducks in a row and I know where I'm going exactly. And and Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 you don't get it at all. I'm for you and I'm with you. And even though you're a sinner, not when you get out of it and prove that you're worthy. This is profound this morning to me and in my own life because of the world that I continue to live in. The hearts that you and I continue to have, the system we continue to rely on, and it is based on ourselves. It is our own personal value. It's our control and our definitions and our works and our merit. We just can't get away from it. And God, who says, I'm out of the bookkeeping business, Jesus came. So I just, let me say that your circumstances today, oh believer, may look unchanged. But you know what? They are not unchanged. Because Jesus Christ died for you. He has secured not only heaven, but your life right here. He has. And, and, and if you explore that a little bit, Jesus came and he put 153 fish in Peter's net when he wanted to. Not when Peter was now trusting better or more faithful or ready to hear or whatever. We're so prone to going that way, to going away from it's about Jesus and what Jesus has done and into it's about Jesus, can, but conditional on what I have done. Could we just cancel that, please? It's not conditional on you. I just, I, I, I can't, I just... Part of it is, part of my struggle today with you guys is that it's like wedding season. There are so many weddings going on right now. And all of them, the, you know, the pastor stands up, the person stands up and says, how was that one yesterday? They just, the guy stands up. So I just, I really want to say to you parents, oh, you, you, you hit a home run. Your kids are so good. They're amazing. And he's talking to a whole group of people, and some of them have kids who have run away from the Lord or who aren't doing well. And you just think, well, was it up to me how my kids turned out? Is it up to you? 
you realize if you do it right, God will bless you. What's that called? I don't know, but it's not Christianity. God has blessed you forever in Christ. I am never who I'm going to be. I, I'm, I'm right now. Boy, my kids could throw something at me. I don't parent right. Do I want to? Yeah. I want to do it perfect. Do I? No. If you go and you start following my kids around, you will realize I'm a fallen sinner because I could be such a better dad. And yet someday someone will send to me and say, oh, Dax, you just did so well raising your kids. And I'll be tempted not to call it a lie, but it will be. God makes what he wants, doesn't he? God makes what he wants. Jesus makes what he wants. I was a sinner when I started. I'm a sinner still. I don't deny that I sin. I don't want to sin. I don't revel in it. I don't look for more. But I say to you and to me, the only hope I have is not in examining my circumstances to see if God is really for me, but in the treasure and wonder that the Bible declares that God is for you in Christ. That is the ticket. And the frame we have is that the word became flesh from the beginning. The one who formed everything forever. He formed the world. And now at the end he says, do you realize I am for you now? You trust me. Don't trust yourself. Your circumstances may not change. They may look the same. But I'm using you. I will at the right time in the right way. Your failures may seem horrible. They are no stop to God, are they? God doesn't say, oh, if you get out of your failures, I'll come help bless you. Jesus came when Peter was a failure and he stored him again. Jesus came, Jesus came. Why? Because he's alive and he is God. And then your life may seem like, man, I look at these televangelists. Well, not them. Don't look at them. I look at these faithful men of God and women of God who've done great things and missions and done all that. And I think I do nothing. And I'm kind of working in my little job here and McDonald's never seems so bad. I'm not sure God's using me. It's not about the position or the place. It's about the reality of Jesus. He uses you. Why does he use you? Because he's God and he can and he does exactly as he wants to. And he doesn't even show you how he's using you. That's this message. That's the frame. The imagine wonder heavy of God for you and since the beginning of time and this piece at the end that says, can you trust him? Even when you get your eyes off yourself or on yourself and you realize how messed up you continue to be. I have this word for you that you are forgiven. Jesus does it. He promises you heaven. He will get you there and he will use you in this life. We'll get to see more next week. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this end of John. We don't deserve to have it. But Lord, we confess we do not deserve you. And Father, I pray that everyone here might have a moral life and a, a life that, that has meaning. And Lord, you might help us to live under your law in a beautiful way. But Lord, mostly what I pray so much is you might open our eyes to how you have us when we fail. And Lord, you have us when our life doesn't seem to be going so well. And we don't seem to have meaning. Lord, I have those days, and I know many do. And Lord, I pray our, our hearts might be comforted and your Holy Spirit might be real to come in and show us that your Savior, our Savior, your Son, has us. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we love you. 
because you loved us first. In your name, amen.